So this evening we're in Genesis chapter 27, and the title of this chapter is Rebecca Has a Plan. Interesting family situation we're diving into here. You know, wealthy families are often conflicted families, unfortunately. You find that uh, people with means are not always people that are close to God, nor are they always all that sane and lucid. Um, it's terrible how often you hear of serious family conflict at the death of a founder uh, in families of affluence. Back in chapter 25, and I'll, I'll go back just a little bit here at the beginning to give you some background, following the death of Sarah, Abraham's wife, and the marriage of uh, Isaac, Abraham's son, Abraham took at the end of, uh, rather in in chapter 25, he took another wife and he had six more children at 100 plus years old. Um, As well as other assorted wife-like persons, concubines, that remain nameless in the scripture. They're also mentioned in chapter 25. Abraham leaves everybody well provided for. He passes away at a ripe old age. And again, in chapter 25, you have the, the genealogy briefly of his son Ishmael, from which we get the Arabic nations. Following that, in 25, the account of Rebekah's pregnancy, Rebekah being Isaac's wife, who came from Abraham's family in Syria at Padan Aram and traveled down with Abraham's nameless uh, servant, who may, probably is Eleazar of Damascus. But uh, we're not sure for, for certain, but probably. Um, actually, before her pregnancy, it tells us that Rebecca has a very difficult time conceiving and bearing children, as did a lot of the prominent women of the Old Testament. Um, Rachel, uh, um, Jacob's wife, uh, Hannah, Sarah, Abraham's wife, Hannah, the, the wife of uh, uh, the mother of, of Samuel, Elizabeth still technically in the Old Testament there. The mother of John the Baptist had a difficult time having children. And the wife of Manoah, whose name we don't have. The mother of Samson also was, uh, was barren until the Lord uh, intervened on their behalf. Isaac, it tells us in 25 that Isaac prayed for her and the Lord granted his prayer and she conceived. In uh, chapter 25, verse 22, it says the children struggled within her and those, those children have been struggling ever since, uh, by the way. She asks a really wonderful question in chapter 25. Um, Rebecca asks the question, the question of the ages. If all is well, why am I like this? This is, this is a very popular question among the human race. You know, if everything is the way it's supposed to be, God, what is this mess? <laughs> And the Lord always has a good, good answer, a good response to that, if we ask sincerely. Um, the Lord speaks to her in verse 23, which is a very important verse, actually, for our Bible study in chapter 27 tonight. Genesis 25, 23 says, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. So she has twins. I don't know if she knew it before, 
But after the Lord spoke to her, she did. The oldest came out. He was all hairy. They named him Harry. Esau. And he was also kind of reddish. And so they also called him Red. Edom. Afterwards, his brother came out and took a hold of his heel. And they named him Jacob. Or heel grabber. Basically, that was very spontaneous. Got all the names right there in that one deal. And it tells us in chapter 25, verse 27, so the boys grew. Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man. Or the word mild also from the Hebrew can also be translated complete, which is kind of interesting. Mild man also dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Recipe for disaster. Recipe, mommy loves this boy, daddy loves that boy. And you can just see it develop from that point forward. The end of chapter 25, we have the account of Esau selling his birthright. Actually, the birth, the right of the firstborn. Firstborn child inherits a double portion. Always. He is the firstborn. And Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for some lentil stew. I hope it was really good. Um, The emphasis being here, and this is the point that we, we need to take away from this. Jacob is a little bit of a conniving, okay, maybe more than a little bit. Esau has no serious regard, or not serious enough regard, for his calling, his calling in the family, and his calling before the Lord. So in the beginning of chapter 6, God reemphasizes his promise to Abraham in the person of Isaac. God speaks to Isaac and reemphasizes the covenant in that situation. There's a famine in the land. God tells him, remain in the land. He'll multiply his descendants. He tells Isaac specifically that it is because of Abraham's obedience. These things are taking place. God's blessing is upon him. And so in chapter 26, Isaac is going to stay in the land of Canaan. He's going to dwell in a place called Gerar, which is uh, actually it's just um, west of the Dead Sea, over the top of that mountain range on the other side, almost over slightly into the Philistine territory towards the coast. That's great, great pasture lands. And certainly Isaac had great flocks and herds. And he needed that. Um, Isaac refers to his wife during this time as his sister, which by this time is a long-standing family tradition. You know, Abraham did it, and Isaac saw it. He just goes, okay, yeah, like father, like son. Calls him his sister. The Lord intervenes to protect um, Isaac and actually protects Abimelech, the the king of the heathen nations living there. He's going to take her for his wife. And uh, sees them, it's, it's pretty funny, you know, he says he, he sees Isaac sporting with his wife. And you always wonder, well, what's he doing? And I don't know what he was doing. It doesn't say he was sporting with her, but you don't do it with your sister. Whatever it was. And Sabalam said, is it not your sister? That's your wife. He knew right off. Okay. And so uh, God reproves Isaac. And, you know, where's your, where's your faith, buddy? Come on. Um, his flocks and herds are multiplied. He redigs some of the wells his father Abraham had dug. 
He digs some new wells himself. The Lord appears to him in Beersheba and affirms that he is with Isaac in 26-24. He builds an altar there, makes a treaty with this king, Abimelech. And Abimelech is really a title. It's not so much the guy's name, uh, title of this particular kingdom. Uh, at the end of chapter 26, Esau, Isaac's son, takes a couple of wives for himself from the Hittites, the children of Heth, the children of the land. And they are a problem to Isaac and Rebekah. Actually, at the end of chapter 26, 26, 35, they were a grief of mind to Isaac and to Rebekah. So, the start of chapter 27 is really, folks, the changing of the guard from, from Abraham to Israel and the 12 patriarchs. Isaac, honestly, is, is just a little bit of a speed bump in there. He's an important person. He's an important person. I mean, God, Abraham takes him up onto uh, the mountains of Moriah in chapter 22 to sacrifice him. And there are a lot of things about Isaac that are very significant. God reaffirms the covenant with him. But Abraham dies in chapter 25. And at the end of 27, Jacob is on his own. And so you've got basically one chapter there that Isaac is, is really significant in, in the whole book of, of Genesis. You kind of, kind of get the impression that God is really looking for a particular people to work in, in specific ways. And I really think God is always doing this, gentlemen. God is looking, you know, uh, 2 Chronicles 16.9, the first part of the verse says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Great verse. Great verse to, to have in your head. Because God is always looking for people that he can use, for men that he can use in a specific way. Loyalty to God is unfortunately not the natural condition of our hearts, which kind of further complicates the whole process. God is looking for an instrument. He's looking for a tool that he can use. But first, he will have to remake this person in his image to use him as he intends. A.W. Tozer said, God never uses a man greatly until he first hurts him deeply. And we find this idea illustrated pretty clearly in the scripture, and especially in the life of Jacob. Genesis chapter 27, verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass that when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. And then he said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savory food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat and my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. Now, Isaac is about 130 years old or so, give or take a couple years, which actually makes Jacob and Esau, because they're twins, makes them about 75 years old. Esau's about 75 years old at this point. As eye problem, we don't really know. Cataracts, glaucoma, we have no idea. But he had a problem and he really was not able to see. 
Isaac likes his son. He also likes the particular way he cooks up this game that he hunts from the field. And he desires an opportunity to bless Esau. Isaac is, is responsible to the Lord for the word that God, that he received at the birth of these boys some 75 years ago. It's a long time ago. Genesis 25, 23, the Lord said to, actually to his wife, Rebecca, two nations are in your room. Two peoples will be separated from your body. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So Isaac knew about this. This is not news to him. But however, in his defense, God hasn't instructed Isaac to make this happen. It's not his job to manufacture a situation where the older son serves the younger son. And he loves his son Esau. And he likes the way he cooks. He wants to bless his son. And honestly, I, I find no fault with this. I can't find a fault for why he sh- should not be able to do so. In his mind, Esau's the firstborn. And if God wants it otherwise, God can certainly do it. For Isaac's part, he's going to proceed in a traditional way. He loves Esau, loves his cooking. That's all okay. But Rebecca, she can cook too. She can cook a little bit herself. And so, here in verse 6, Rebekah, who heard this conversation, spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game, make me savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats. I will make savory food of them for your father, such as he loves. And then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. We don't have a lot in the scripture about Rebecca, honestly. One of the things that we do see is that she has really great hearing. (laughs) There is nothing or almost nothing that happens that she does not hear about one way or another. Rebecca is the head of a highly organized and well-established intelligence network. Let me tell you, there was nothing that went on in any of those tents that Rebecca didn't know about in great detail. She is also a great planner. She's not so big on how to deal with the situation after your plan has burned the house down to the ground. But she may have an idea or two for that. But if you're looking for somebody that can get you up to your elbows and alligators, she's your girl. Something she seems to have in common with her brother, Laban, who lives back up in Syria. They left him up there. He left him in Syria. I have a suspicious inkling that he's going to show up in the narrative here before too many chapters pass by. This is the plan. This is her plan. Very simple. Nothing fancy. Dad's blind. Take him some goat stew. He'll bless you. End of the story. Sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds really good. Looks good on paper. You know, everything looks good on paper. You know, and it's the thing, the difference between what looks good on paper and what looks good in real life is called wisdom. 
wisdom. I got an email the other day. It's from a guy named Mr. Mike. It wasn't you, was it, Mike? It's email from Mr. Mike. The subject was respond now. And it was sent out to undisclosed recipients. So I knew definitely that was for me. It says, this is to let you know that the corrupt officials in Nigeria who you have been sending money to has been arrested. Good. So therefore, the federal government of Nigeria has agreed to send you $5 million for your loss and troubles. Is that cool? Again, you're only to pay $50 for the release of the fund. If you have agreed to pay, then you can send the details below to a quick transfer. Your full name, your phone number, your occupation, the bank number and routing number of your account. Signed, Mr. Mike. Pretty awesome, huh? Very simple. Looks great on paper. That Mr. Mike, he's something. I'm telling you. Probably more, brother. Probably more. God help us. This is the problem then. One of the problems. Our sister Rebecca is not trusting the Lord. She is not trusting the Lord. I don't know if you've really noticed, but it can be difficult from time to time to trust God the way that you ought to. Especially when you have an opportunity to take the thing in your own hands and to make it happen yourself. This is a good thing. It's the thing God wants to happen. I had a word from God. I have an opportunity to intervene here, take a hold of this situation, and fix it right up. Make it happen myself. Or try to make it happen myself. Or make it a lot more complicated and confusing than it was before. Or make it into a big mess that nobody can fix. This is really more like what we do. We have a tendency to take things God wants to do and turn them into a huge mess that nobody can fix. It's our gift. You know, God helps those that help themselves. Actually, you know, it's wild. I had an argument with one guy. Uh, Years ago, I was working as a security guard over here on Michelinda. And a guy was working there, and I went in to relieve him, and I was talking to him. I had my Bible with me and started sharing with him. And he said, yeah, you don't like that verse. God helps those that help themselves. Where's where's that verse? <laughs> and he goes, oh, it's in there. A priest showed me the other day. So he did. I said, it's, you know, I wondered, is it anywhere near Proverbs three five? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't even lean on your understanding. We never found it, unfortunately. Never never found that verse. Um, do we have trouble trusting God? Sometimes, it kind of depends on. You know, you know what you mean. Uh, some things are harder to trust God regarding than others, and this is this is not, you know, not to look down on people who are having a difficult time trusting God. Let me tell you something. You go into the doctor and he diagnoses you with cancer. You're going to have a, a difficult time trusting God. Generally speaking, that's a real and and nobody should think poorly of you for that. It's the process you know you're you're in that situation where you're going to be wrestling with the lord and he has a purpose he has a uh, a design upon your life he loves you dearly but that doesn't mean that you're not going to have some difficulty in trusting god that doesn't change the fact that god's the only one who knows what's coming and the rest of us 
We're just guessing. You know, we really do not know for our lives the specifics that are coming. Anytime I fail to put the, the controls of my life in his hands, I am looking for trouble. That needs to be my desire. I may have a hard time getting there, but folks, that, that needs to be the target. That's what I'm shooting for. I want to put the control of my life into the Lord's hands in every way possible. According to wisdom. Especially when my plan is obviously contrary to the scripture. Like lying and or deception. Notice his mother commands him in verse 8. But he does not refuse. How responsible does that make him? Whatever his responsibility is, gentlemen, he will suffer the consequences, I guarantee you. Check out his response here, starting in verse 11. Verse 11, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go and get them for me. And he went, he got them, he brought them to his mother. His mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son, which were with her in the house, put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids and the goats on his hands, on the smooth part of his neck. She gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. Jacob at least had the sense enough here to point out some of the problems of the plan. Perhaps my father will feel me and, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him and shall bring a curse on myself and not, not a blessing. Now, I want you to notice this. I shall seem to be a deceiver. We don't, I mean, I don't want my dad to think I'm trying to deceive him. Never underestimate the ability of a person to rationalize their situation. I mean, if this guy is not full-on lying to his father, what on earth is he doing? I don't want him to think I'm deceiving him. What on earth? Rebecca, you know, she smooths the whole thing over. She takes responsibility. Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. I think it's worth mentioning. These people, all of these people, place a very strong importance upon the blessing or the cursing of themselves by the father, the husband. It's very strong. For one thing, it's a very, very strong patriarchal society as it is in the Middle East today, to this very day. Father knows best meets it's a man world. And when you get Robert Young and James Brown in the same sentence, you got something. It's all business. More than anything, it is the Lord that blesses and curses the lives of people. And these people are very aware of the impact, the potential impact for their lives. The account in their lives of God's faithfulness to them is something that they live with every day. They were not like people today that I think, 
are inclined to imagine that when good things happen to them, you know, it's just coincidence, you know, that I prayed and asked for that, you know, and it just, it just, when I pray for a parking spot and there happens to be, well, was there anyway, but, you know, being blessed by God is a miracle. It is a miracle. When you come before the Lord and you ask for his help and his direction and his blessing upon your life and he reveals himself, you know, this is something that we need to take note of. We need to hold that in our hearts. It needs to be precious to us. It needs to be something that we consider. You know, if you're blessed where you work and, and you have asked the hand of God to rest upon you, you need to know that it's from the Lord. If you've asked God to bless your family, have his hand upon your family and to reveal himself in your home, in your relationship with your wife, your relationship with your kids, you know, this is, this is a huge thing. This is the work of your life. And the day that you die, as you're laying in your deathbed, you're going to look back to God's work and his hand upon your life. And you are going to need to acknowledge his faithfulness to you. How good he is. If you're a single guy here tonight and you're praying for God to bring you a wife, you need to be confident that he's able to do that according to his plan. You need to look to him and allow him that latitude to bless you and to provide for you according as he sees fit. Being cursed is judgment from God. It is, in the life, especially in the life of a believer, it is corrective. It is correct. It's not punitive. It's corrective. God wants to get us back to the perspective that we need to have. In this situation, has taken some substantial time. You know, you don't kill, dress, and cook a goat and bake bread in just a few minutes, even a small goat. And so mom provides the plan, and Jacob is the guy who has to step out and do the deed. So in verse 18, he went to his father, and he said, My father! And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise and sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you really are Esau or not. It's going south real quick. And Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And he said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Let me tell you, if he had goat skin on his hands, that Esau's a hairy guy. Man, I mean, no two ways about it. He was a bear. Uh, notice, guys. When we make a decision that we know is wrong, and we've all done this, when we make a a decision, we're going to do something that we know is wrong. In other words, to willful disobedience, we're going to transgress the will of God in this particular situation. That commitment to take that step, it demands a great sacrifice. First, God convicts you in your heart. You know what you're doing is wrong. And then he confirms that through multiple independent sources. And I know you guys have seen this happen in your life. Where you're like, well, I'm just going to 
go ahead anyway. And somebody drives by in a car and says, hey, what are you doing? I go, oh, man. <laughs> it's bizarre, you know. How does that happen, you know? My goodness gracious. I'll never forget I was going to watch this R-rated movie one time. Seriously. Sit down to watch this movie. Sit down and turn it on, you know. Nobody's around. Let's just watch this movie. It comes on. Up on the screen before the movie starts. What is it? Profit a man if he should lose, gain the whole world and lose his own soul. What evil R-rated movie puts Bible scriptures at the beginning? (laughs) Because they know Christians are going to go out and rent this thing and want to watch it. You know, it's like, oh my gosh. Your heart's just going about to jump out of your chest, you know. Wow. Unbelievable. Multiple independent sources. God will convict you. Why does he do this? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he's giving that door. Do the right thing, brother. Do the right thing. Save yourself a lot of trouble. Turn. Obey the truth. Obey the Lord. But when we follow our own bent anyway, gentlemen, it gets very expensive. It gets very expensive. Notice from the beginning, his father knows something is wrong. He went to his father and said, my father said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said, I am Esau. First thing, before he's in the door, he's got to lie to him. In his own mind, it was like, I'll just go in there and give him the stuff. He'll say, oh, bless you, bless you. And I'll walk right out. Not going to happen. Esau, your firstborn. He lies. And then that's not, a, not bad enough at verse 20, he brings the Lord into his lie. How did you get it so quickly? Oh, uh, because the Lord your God brought it to me. You know? Oh, my gosh. And Isaac is not fooled. Though he is blind, but goat hair on the neck, you know, that, that did the trick. He didn't recognize him, but because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. In verse 23, so he blessed him. In verse 24, he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, yeah, I am. I I am, really. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game that my soul may bless you. And so he brought it near to him. He ate. He brought him wine. He drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near, kiss me, my son. And so he came near. He kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing, Rebecca. And he said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. You know, Jacob continues to lie to his father. This is not a practical joke. This is not a practical joke. His father is blind. His father's 130 years old. This is the act of insulting and mocking his relationship with his father, a person who has given his all for the life of this this young man, given him everything. This is a very, very serious thing to his father. And for that matter, to Jacob and Esau and everyone involved. His father is still not convinced in verse 24, but when he smells, smells the clothes of Esau, that did it for him. And so in verse 28, he pronounces the blessing upon Jacob. He says, therefore, 
May God give you the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and the plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. So this is the pronouncement of the blessing. And, you know, the blessing is of such a great value that it really, to Jacob, to his mother, it overshadows in their eyes the deception. One of the interesting aspects of the blessing, which Isaac passes on Jacob and on Esau, for that matter, is the fact that all these people involved wholeheartedly believe that Isaac is speaking prophetically from the Lord. They truly believe that the Lord is speaking through Isaac as he blesses his son. That this is the Lord's word, continuing the situation of these men, their future generations. As we have the advantage of a historical perspective, we can see the truth of this issue. First of all, the first five things he says in this blessing, all right? May God give you the dew of heaven, fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you, nations bow down to you. Now, we're not going to take the time to make this Bible study a point-by-point history of Israel, ancient and modern. However, from a historical perspective, from an overview, the blessing is pronounced from the aspect of an agricultural nation. Okay, The people of Israel were agronomists. They were herdsmen and farmers. That's what they did for the next 1,300 years from the time of Isaac forward. Let me ask you the question, where would you place the Jewish people in a group in terms of economic success throughout the history of the world? We have this tendency to think of Jewish people as tradesmen, entrepreneurs, bankers. We're largely familiar with them in the modern world. And according to the history of the Jewish nation, they really didn't learn commerce and banking and international trade until during the Babylonian captivity from about 700 B.C. to 500 B.C., depending on where you place them. And that's the ten northern tribes as well as Judah and Benjamin. And this is still 1,300 years before that time. But I think we could safely say we would place the Jewish people conservatively in the top 25% of successful people of all time in the world, maybe much higher. The sixth and the seventh points that he makes in this particular uh, blessing. Be the master over your brethren. Let your mother's sons bow down to you. Our references to only one thing. Because Jacob only has one brother. And that's Esau. That is Esau. This follows the relationship between Israel and Edom. Edom is the nation that is descended from Esau. Esau and his family, a little bit later in the book of Genesis, will be identified as the inhabitants of Mount Seir. Actually, in chapter 36, verse 8, so Esau dwelt in Mount Seir, Esau is Edom. So the Edomites, Idiomian, Idiomian, yeah, thanks. No, not Idiomian. Idiomian, actually, Herod the Great was, in some part, descended from the descendants of Esau. He was Edomian, and uh, he was also descended from Maccabees as well, some slight descent. 
As to the issue of Jacob's supremacy, there's a back and forth throughout the years who is in charge. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 4, the Lord instructs the people of Israel as they're leaving Egypt, coming into the promised land, saying, you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. There, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourself carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land, not so much as one footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. So God, instructing Moses and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, is very considerate of the descendants of Esau, that they shouldn't infringe upon them in any way. Now Saul, from the time of the kingdom, in 1 Samuel 14, had been in conflict with Edom in uh, 1 Samuel 14, 47. But by the time you arrive at the kingdom under David, about 40 years later, in 1 Kings 11, verse 15, it happened that when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain, that he killed every male in Edom. Because for six months, Joab remained there in Israel until he had cut down every male. Parallel account in First Chronicles 18. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and the gold he brought back from all the nations, from Edom, from Moab, and from the people of Ammon, the Philistines, and Amalek. Moreover, Abishai, the son of Zariah, killed 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Assault. He also put garrisons. They had military bases in Edom. And all the Edomites became David's servants, and the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So, pretty plain. It's pretty plain that this this blessing upon Jacob was carried out, and that his brother's descendants did bow down to him. And uh, there were some changes in, in detail. The eighth and ninth points of this blessing is a reference to God's favor upon the people, a reiteration of the promise to Abraham. In Genesis 12.3, God blesses Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And although the promise is specific to Abraham, and this one specific to Jacob, we look at the family of Abraham and Jacob, Israel. Jacob is Israel. As he's coming back out of Syria, that will happen. The national history the history of the nation is tragic in the extreme, but God has certainly cursed those people who have cursed Israel. You look at for 50 years, the nation of Germany was divided in two, and, and the eastern, your, your East Germany was a mess. It was a terrible, horrible place for people to live, where people struggled under a oppressive government. It was probably the next thing to North Korea. It was horrific. And God judged those people as they abused and mistreated the Jews. Example of God blessing a nation that blessed the Jews? Always tripped me out. Being a minor history buff, I don't know much about history, but it always interested me. How the nation of France, from the French Revolution, which was a chaotic bloodbath, where everybody, I mean, the whole country, the whole infrastructure, all the organization and everything just went totally out the window. I mean, total bloodbath nation of, of France in a period of about just right around 20 years became an empire that threatened to rule the world under Napoleon. And I always wondered 
How does that happen? I mean, was just was Napoleon just that amazing organizational guy just stepped, said, okay, I'm in charge, and bam, everything took off? I mean, just really doesn't, it's not logical, especially in, you know, in 1800, in the year 1800, how does this take place? Then you got to realize that at the height of the French Revolution, in the Articles of the Rights that these guys put out for the first time in the history of the world, a nation gave human rights to the Jewish people as a whole. And God blesses those who bless the Jews. He does. Amazing. A situation with a whole bunch of question marks, at least, until you realize the French Revolution. God gave these people rights through the French people. Now, unfortunately, today, things are not nearly so positive for the Jewish people in France. Cursed be everyone who curses you. Blessed be those who bless you. Now, in verse 30, now it happened that as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob scarcely had gone out from the presence of his father. (laughs) Hey, who is that guy wearing my shirt? Um, That Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also had made savory food. He brought it to his father and he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And so he said, Well, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. And then Isaac trembled exceedingly. And he said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I, I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him indeed. He shall be blessed. The jig is up. Now, they had to know that this would happen, folks. They had to know. Rebecca knew. They knew that this would... They really... They don't hold Esau in tremendously high esteem in this family. The nature of betrayal. Folks, because we live with human beings, we also live with the real threat of having our interests betrayed because this is what people do. And the truth is, in some ways we open the door for our own injury. I say that because, you know, no one can really hurt you badly unless they're close to you. Closer a person is to you, physically or emotionally, in this case emotionally, the closer a person is to you, the more devastating the injury. So your closeness with other people opens a door for you to be injured. So what do you think we should do about that? Are you supposed to not care about people? I really don't think that's God's plan. It's certainly not what we see in his example. And we do want to follow his example. We can deduce from the example, following God intends us to follow, he intends for us to love people. And people are people. God intends for us to suffer injury at the hands of people, which is for us a part of properly displaying his love, which is what he did, isn't it? See, Jesus, he came to earth to love people. Did he know he was going to get hurt? Oh, yeah. He knew exactly what was going to happen. But that was the purpose. That was the purpose. And he wants me to follow that example. I spent all my time trying to protect myself from people that might injure me in some way or another. 
How am I going to honor God? See, it's all about me at that point. God's purpose is for me to put my eyes on Him, let Him worry about my back, make myself vulnerable to people. You know, I look at these guys in here who go out every Friday night street witnessing. They're just laying it out there on the line, man. You know, here I am. I believe in Jesus. How are you doing today? Would you like to talk for a minute? People in church look at that and say, well, how embarrassing. How could you do? Yeah, yeah, well. Among other things, yeah. You know, I've almost been punched out on the street at least once that I can remember. You know? Bottom line is, you know, what is the Lord's purpose at work in our lives? I'm not here for me. It's not about me. I'm here to serve the Lord's purpose. And I'm either willing to step out and put myself at risk and do that. And I don't mean by, you know, putting yourself at physical risk. You know, don't throw your pearls before swine. I've had the Lord tell give me that verse on the street before too. Know when to walk away. Use wisdom. But at the same time, God intends us There are situations where we are going to be taken advantage of. You know, homeless people come into the church all the time seeking help and assistance. And if I waited for the homeless person that was going to tell me the truth, we might never give anything to anybody. You know, people come in here, they got stories from, you know, their mother's in the hospital and they're gone and on and here's the paperwork. And I got, you know, and and I'm just praying, Lord, give us wisdom. What do we do here, Father? How, How can we be your servant, your representative. And there are times where we send people on their merry way and say, no, I'm sorry, we just can't help you. You know, but but our prayer is that every person who comes in here would get what they need from the Lord. Every single person. Because let me tell you, those people come in here with a tall tale about how they need this and that and the other thing, and they're just making it up and they've been going up and down the street, hitting every church. They need help. They They don't know it, but they need the Lord's help. They need His Holy Spirit to speak to them. They need to know that he's real. And we want to be whatever part of that he intends. Now the situation here with Isaac is a little bit more complicated because certainly having been taken advantage of by his son, having pronounced this blessing upon him in his mind reasonably, you know, he, his mind probably going to go back to chapter 25 where the Lord told him that the elder will serve the younger. So even though his son deceived him, he's going to see the hand of the Lord in this situation to some extent. That, of course, means... Yeah, there are consequences for sure. In verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. Took away my birthright. Actually, sold it to him. He didn't take it away. Took away my birthright. And now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, indeed, I've made him your master. And all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? 
Bless me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be with the fatness of the earth, the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live. And it shall come to pass that when you become restless, that you will break his yoke from your neck. There's some real consequences from Jacob's sin. Family, you know, they may have had some trouble and difficulty in the past, but now we have the provoking of violence. And remember, this is, this is not the wimpy brother. This is Harry. Um, and here he is, very, very upset, and he wants to be blessed. So Isaac, Isaac blesses him as well, a little, little bit differently. He's, he's not in charge. He lives by his sword. He shall come, it shall come to pass when he's restless. He shall break the yoke of Jacob from off his neck. And again, historically, we have that in context. In Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 21, uh, King Jehoram of the nation of Judah, uh, when he was 32 years old, he became king. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done for he had the daughter of Ahab as his wife. That would be Athaliah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David. And since he had promised to give a lamp to him for his sons forever, in his days the Edomites revolted against Judah's authority. They made a king over themselves. And so Jehoram went out with his officers and his chariots with him, And he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day, to the day of the writing of 2 Chronicles. And at that time, Libna revolted against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his father. So we have the fulfillment of the blessing of Isaac for his son Esau to break the yoke of uh, the kings of Israel off of his neck. In verse 41, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And of the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. She hears everything. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Esau is hated. Esau hates Jacob. Not only that, he plans to do something about it. Rebecca doesn't want to take any chances. And she just happened to hear about it. Jacob has sinned against the Lord, against his father, against his family. Rebecca has sinned. I, Isaac has actually sinned and there's, you know, folks, there's always enough responsibility to go around, isn't there? And that's so important. You know, when somebody has a gripe with you, do yourself a favor. Look at the situation and see what aspect of responsibility you can claim for yourself. Should you have been more sensitive? Should you thought about the thing? Should you looked at it more clearly? Is there any way that you can honestly apologize for whatever responsibility you have? Because if you do that, you make your life a lot easier, make opportunity to, 
to come to terms with people on a, on a level playing field, and God will bless you for it. God blesses the humble and resists the proud. And there are lots of situations in our life where we are unwilling to. We just don't feel like humbling. Yeah, that's not mine. What, what's the problem? You know, don't go there. Look for, look for an opportunity to be responsible in some aspect. Humble yourself. You know, through humility, the king's throne is made secure. By love, actually, it says in the Proverbs. You know, and authority, the authority that you have, whatever it may be, over your family, at work, over your household, it's not dependent upon you telling everybody you're on charge, jumping up on a rock and telling them they better do what you say or else. Whatever authority you have, Romans chapter 13 tells us all authority is ordained by God. And if the Lord blesses your authority, people will follow you because they want to. You don't want people following you because they're afraid of you. That's ignorance. That's foolishness. You want people to follow you and take your advice. You want your children to listen to your counsel because they hold you in esteem because of the hand of God upon your life. Not because you can, you're bigger than they are. Important stuff. Rebecca's sin is the fruit of bad communication between her and her husband. It really is. Isaac, if Isaac is disobedient to any extent, it's to bless Esau. Good communication is the fruit of people being surrendered to the Lord, loving the Lord more than they do themselves, following his wisdom. Seems here that the only person that really didn't sin is Esau. And he's the guy who got the short end of the stick. And now he's in sin because he wants to kill his brother. Esau is a very interesting character in the scripture, guys. Some of the best lessons that I have ever learned from the Bible come from the worst people. Samson, Saul, Ahab, Esau. These are people I've prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, I don't want to be like that guy. Please, Lord, I don't want to be like this guy, you know. In Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament, we have a great warning to believers. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by it many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator, or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. He really wanted wanted to turn it around. He wanted to do better. He wanted to... Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Appointed and powerful encouragement to the church. Don't be like this guy. Gentlemen, you live in a world of choices every day. You choose what doors you walk through. And I'm here tonight to tell you that there are doors that you can walk through from which there is no exit. You can make a bad choice for yourself that can change your life forever. You need the wisdom of God. Every choice I make 
in the time of my life, it has consequences in eternity. In Jacob's life, family conflict turns into thermonuclear war. But not to worry, Rebecca has a plan. Rebecca is the man with a plan. In verse 34, now my, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of both of you in one day? Her brother Laban, who we will find has some real skills as a manipulator himself, very soon, lives in Haran, in Syria. And this is one of the reasons we will, in about 50 to 75 years, there will be Syrian-style houses built in Egypt, in the land of Goshen, near Ramses. There is a, a video on, uh, it's on Netflix actually. It's called Patterns in Evidence, Exodus. And it talks about some pretty amazing archaeological discoveries in Egypt among people who don't really want to believe that the Jews came out of Egypt at, like the book of Exodus says. But if you look at the, uh, the video, it's pretty amazing, I encourage you. Patterns and Evidence in Exodus. And it is on Netflix, actually. She just says, go stay there for a few days. We'll sort this all out. Then to facilitate the move, she goes to her husband. Because when you, when you manipulate, that's what you do. That's all they know. One of the reasons is... You know, it's good to let God move things along instead of doing it yourself. You can do things. You always can do something. But then you have to clean up the mess and deal with the consequences. Rebecca goes to her husband Isaac. And if you remember, back at the end of chapter 26, we had this commentary about Esau's two wives. When Esau was 40 years old, he took wives Judith, the daughter of Berei, the Hittite, and Basimath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. And uh, they were a, a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And so in verse 46, back here in 27, Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth like these, who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Now, the daughters of Heth is a synonym for the Hittites. And so we open up chapter 28 next week. We will see she has achieved the desired effect. And Jacob is being sent by his father. He's dispatching him to Syria. And things get really interesting as Jacob becomes the focus of God's covenant with the children of Abraham. It's kind of interesting to me, you know. This whole thing started because of the death of Isaac is imminent. So I'm going to die any day now. I'm blind. He's blind. He can't see. Don't know the day of my death, but he's going to die very soon. Esau is sure he's going to die soon. As soon as my father's dead, I'm go kill Jacob. Rebecca wants her boy, 75-year-old boy, 
He's not married at 75. She wants him to be blessed. So she cooks up, as it were, her own plan to make it happen. And what does she say at the end of the chapter here? I am weary of my life. What good will my life be to me if he marries women from here? And it's really interesting, you know, one of the consequences of her actions, she, this woman, Rebecca, the schemer, lady with a plan, she is going to die and never see her son again. Definitely not the way that she had it planned. She is going to die and never see her son or any of his many children. She's never going to see them because she had this great plan. While when Jacob, many years later, returns to his home, his father will still be there waiting to bless him. (laughs) Pretty amazing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Good advice. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for being here with us tonight, Lord, for the commentary and Lord, the the narrative of the book of Genesis. We thank you, Lord, for setting it down for us, Lord, and giving us the benefit of encouragement and instruction in the lives of these children, these people that you love so much. And Father, we pray, Lord, help us to take these issues to heart, Lord, to examine our situation. And Father, to use the wisdom that you provide us. Help me, Lord, Father, to be wise as I proceed. Lord, to serve you and to honor you. And Lord, that we would be your servants first and foremost, to look out for the interests of others. And Lord, to honor you with what we do and what we say. Bless our families, Father. And Lord, we pray that we would be a blessing to our families in all that we do. We love you. And Father, we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.